This is the Jason Jones Show, powered by the Vulnerable People Project. Visit thegreatcampaign.org. Now, here's Jason Jones. Aloha, everybody, and welcome to the Jason Jones Show. I am your host, Jason Jones, broadcasting from the beautiful hill country of Texas. Okay, today's show. We are going to be interviewing Yana, please forgive me, Matvichuk. I think that's right, Yana Matvichuk. She is a Ukrainian entrepreneur. She is also a fellow at the Ayn Rand Institute. She is an economist, and she is a historian, and she is a very successful entrepreneur, hence, obviously, her love for Ayn Rand. I, sh- I, sh- I should have talked. I'm going to have to do a whole show with her because I was an Ayn Rand objectivist as a young man and, and eventually converted to Catholicism. My, I'm going to put it in the show notes. My conversion story is, was published at the National Review many years ago, and it was titled How Roe v. Wade, Ayn Rand, and Jean-Paul Sartre Taught Me to Believe in God. So I will put that there in the show notes as well. But this is a great interview because, listen, you don't know anything about Ukrainian history or Russian history, nor do I. Maybe you know a little. Maybe I know a little. I knew enough to know that Putin was telling a myth, a myth, a myth, and he was leaving out like some of the most important historical events like the Holodomor, like his talk about Russia's longstanding uh, tradition of religious liberty, like the pogroms or the murder of millions of Orthodox and Catholics under the Soviet Union, or like the shutting down of every Catholic church and every evangelical church and the occupied oblasts of Ukraine, where the Russians are, the evangelical churches and Catholic churches have been shut down. So he just doesn't talk about any of that. I don't think Tucker Carlson knew. Because if he knew, he would have brought this stuff up. It's kind of embarrassing, or maybe he was just being polite and letting Vladimir Putin share his view of history. But I thought we need to have a historian on and share the Ukrainian perspective. What does this Ukrainian entrepreneur and historian uh, uh, think about what Putin said? So we interview her. It is a great interview. She's a ball of fire. She's very interesting. And um, so we're going to get on with that interview. I have to let you know, these shows have not been coming out as regularly as they have been. I've been getting emails. Is Jason, are you okay? I'm okay. I'm too good. My book is done. It's going to the publisher. That was a big wait. It was a lot of work. You'll see when you read the book. A lot of research went into this book. And um, it's gotten reviews. We've gotten great endorsements from Sebastian Gorka, from Alex Jones, from the first female governor in Afghanistan. Um, uh, We've gotten endorsements, amazing endorsements from Eric Metaxas, John Smirak, of course. Of course, John's going to endorse it. You're going to go, he's one of your best friends. Of course, he's going to endorse the book. He endorsed the book. But um, the book has had a great response. We've already had a pre-orders of 55,000 copies. That is the great campaign against the Great Reset. You can pre-order it at Amazon.com. But really why I've been busy is the work of the Vulnerable People Project. You know that there were bombings in the Philippines. We are working to rebuild the church that was destroyed in a recent attack. We have, as we speak... Um, putting up security cameras and hiring security guards for the most vulnerable churches in Nigeria. We are continuing to care for our Afghan allies and religious minorities in Afghanistan and the safe houses we have in neighboring countries. 
We are standing with the vulnerable from the Dalit in India to the Uyghur in occupied East Turkestan to Christians in Nigeria and Malawi and Zambia. And how do we do all that? People say, how do we do all that? We do, we don't, you do. The donors do and our on-the-ground partners do. They are the heroes. I work the concierge desk at the Vulnerable People Project. And my job is the founder and president to serve you, the donor who wants to make sure the most vulnerable people in the world are being cared for because you know, as a Christian, the body of Christ, that is what we're called to do at home and around the world. 70% of Paul's, um, 70% of the time in Paul's letters, he says to us, pray for and care for and tithe to the persecuted church. And that's what we do. That is what we do. And you do that when you become a donor. Go to thegreatcampaign.org. My staff wants me to tell you vulnerablepeopleproject.com. They're the same place. Vulnerablepeopleproject.com, thegreatcampaign.org. You can go to either of them. They take you to the same place. All domains all domains lead to VPP's website. Please become a donor. If you are a listener to the show, that means you share the same concerns I do. The smallest donation matters. Become a monthly donor, $2 a month, $5 a month. Uh, this organization is driven by about 15,000 donors around the world, just 15,000 people around the world. The average donation of $106, many donations are much more, many, many less. But average, become a donor and support our work. Whew, sorry, that was a long, that was a long commercial. Can you tell? We've got some budgets to meet. We do. We have some requests for emergency security. And so that was why I had a, a little little longer uh, ad than normal, promotion than normal. I just did the Sebastian Gorka show, and he was selling Relief Factor. I thought, if I could only sell VBP like the Sebastian Gorka sells Relief Factor. I've been in pain. I, was, I want him to do a promo for VPP because you hear Sebastian Gorka's voice and the first thing you think of is Relief Factor. All right, I have babbled enough. This is important stuff, okay? On with our interview with Yana Matvichuk, Ukrainian entrepreneur, volunteer in the war against Russia and aggression, and a fellow at the Ayn Rand Institute. It's the Jason Jones Show. Aloha. Aloha, Yana Matvichuk. Welcome to the Jason Jones Show. Hello, Jason. Nice to hear you. Well, I'm so grateful to have you on. You're a very successful businesswoman and entrepreneur in Ukraine, but that's not why we're having you on. You're also a respected historian. And yesterday, the world got to hear from a historian from Russia named Vladimir Putin, and he told his story. Uh, he gave his myth. Um, he shared uh, his myth uh, with the world and I, I thought it was very important, and even me as an American, who is in no way an expert in the history of Russia and Ukraine, I saw some glaring mistakes in um, the story that Vladimir Putin was trying to tell. So I'm grateful to have you on the show. Uh, greetings from Kiev, Ukraine. I'm here now, and I'm happy to speak about this uh, interview. Um, I can't wait to join you again in Kiev. It's, it's one of my favorite places in the world. So yesterday, I'm very grateful, actually, um, that Tucker Carlson 
interviewed Vladimir Putin because uh, I know a lot of folks were afraid that he would be some kind of Svengali that would cast a spell over the world and we would all fall for his propaganda. And he did a very good job trying to communicate in a relaxed, seemingly off-the-cuff way, but one would have to be naive not to think that every word of that interview was not perfectly scripted um, by Russian intelligence services and and um, rehearsed by Vladimir Putin. So, but my question to you is: before we get to his errors and and and, and his lies, the best way to poison somebody is to mix the the poison with honey. Was there anything that? that Vladimir Putin said that you would say was a truth that we need to separate from the lies? Was there any truths that Putin communicated yesterday? Uh, I must say that uh, it was the biggest uh, lie interview that I heard. But to be honest, uh, nothing new because Putin is lying last uh, few years uh, almost every time when he goes to public. And um, when I heard all this uh, history lesson from a dictator, I was uh, thinking about two things. First is that this interview is not uh, for American people, because I'm sure not of them exactly understand the details of the history. And this interview mostly intended to domestic Russian audience. And the second thing that... Uh, Putin is a dictator, he is a liar, and I'm sure that even uh, no one else told him what to say. This is what completely his thoughts. So, you, so that's interesting. So Putin is so confident that he just waited in there, and you think this was just all off the cuff, Putin telling the people of Russia, not really caring about the world, but showing the people of Russia, I will stand up to this this patsy for the CIA, Tucker Carlson, which he implied several times that Tucker was CIA, which I thought was funny. Yeah. Um, so yeah. this was so he was just this was Vladimir Putin speaking directly to the people of Russia, not even thinking about American public opinion. Exactly, because uh, when we talked with you a few hours ago, you said, "Who is this Kozak Kamilnitsky?" But I didn't even understand that you didn't hear exactly the name of uh, Bogdan Khmelnytsky. Because I'm sure all Americans, they just first time hear these uh, names and uh, who would understand what exactly Putin is talking about. But he's a dictator. And can you imagine that someone will come and tell him, oh, listen, dear Vladimir Putin, you need to say this, 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 because uh, this is would be better for for the interview. I'm sure all this is his initiative to say all this lie and this bullshit, what he said. <laughs> so, yeah, so he he was he was just casting about um, throwing names out. And, and the one name, there were several names that, that the reason I asked you who were these people is I had to imagine that they were a, a very important part of Russia's mythos. And I was I was I was wanting to know to know who they were. So. Uh, I'll tell you what, what struck me as true um, that he said. Okay. When he went over the mistakes of the United States in the 1990s, uh, that to me rang true. I think that the United States had a lot of opportunities in Eastern Europe after the fall of the Soviet Union, and we sort of just stumbled around like a newborn 
elephant in a minefield. And um, by the time George uh, W. Bush came into office, it was sort of the, the concrete had settled. And Putin even almost sort of admitted that, that he had respect for W, but he said, really, what, what could he do? It was over. It was over. Do you think that the United States made a lot of mistakes in the 90s that in a way set the stage for a dictator to rule Russia and then become aggressive towards Ukraine? Uh, when we speak about uh, this last 30 years of history, uh, let's uh, not forget that Russia uh, against Ukraine, this is not the first war that Russia started. Uh, I calculated uh, during the last 30 years, it was 13 wars eight of which Russia won. And I was uh, calculating how many years during this uh, last 30 years Russia was in war. And actually, if one after one would be, it would be uh, 42 years of wars with the neighbors, including Ukraine, plus eight years in Syria. So 50 years of war, Russia is made uh, last uh, three decades. Um, who made which mistakes? Uh, I don't think it's really important to uh, talk about it now. But I want. Well, to no, that was just the one is, uh, for the American yes. audience. I think for a lot of Americans, that would have rung true. You know, we like to blame ourselves, and and the American is a defense establishment and security establishment never ceased taking an aggressive stance um, through the '90s towards Russia and. I've often thought that was a mistake, but what you're saying is I'm naive. And, and that's what the American sort of defense and security establishment would say, that that those of us who thought there was any other posture that we could take towards Russia but one of constant pressure and aggression are naive, that Russia never really meant to lose the lose um, those former republics and meant had every uh, – they were, they were insistent that they would regain that territory. So – and I'm open to the fact that I'm naive on that. But but the big mistakes, or I should say the glaring gaps um, that I heard were, number one, he just didn't mention the Holodomor. You're going to give this this history of Ukraine going back to when my ancestors, I'm English, were still living in the forests of, of, of Germany. The Angles and the Saxons hadn't even made it to the British Isles yet. This is where he starts his history. Um, but he doesn't mention... Russia starving Ukrainians to death. He just skips right over that. Is there anything you want to address with that? Uh, yeah, exactly. This is what I say. He's uh, uh, telling only some facts that he likes to say, but forgot about wars of Russia, forgot about Holodomor. And I want to tell you from my own experience, um, uh, you know that we had three Holodomor in Ukraine in 1921, 1933 and 1948 and was uh, when i was uh, studying at history faculty in kiev uh, i um, uh, had a task to make a student work and to find people who were victims and uh, evidence the holodomor and it was uh, in kiev region i found the person just by one phone call i found, uh, called my friend and said do you have relatives who actually suffered from Holodomor. I need to interview these people. And uh, I easily found her grandparents, uh, who in 
48, was in Kiev region and was eating uh, uh, beaten potato, potatoes from the field during uh, winter. And uh, these people survived, but some of them didn't. And I have uh, in um, a small uh, round of my friends, uh, people who suffered from this uh, Holodomor. So that's what I want for the American audience, I want to just clarify. By Holodomor, we mean there was an engineered famine in the early 30s that was revealed to the world by a very brave uh, Welsh journalist, Gareth Jones. The world would have never known about it. The New York Times... Uh, covered it up because they had Stalinist agents at the New York Times. But this very brave Welsh journalist who then ended up, I don't know if you know this, um, was murdered by the KGB um, for revealing yeah. the truth. And so the, the, you were saying there wasn't just one engineered famine to eradicate uh, Ukrainians. There were several or three. Yes, there were three. And the most, the which one you are talking about, it was three years, 1932, 1934. And uh, already we have official numbers how many people died. It's uh, 3.9 million people died and uh, 600,000 people were not born because we are talking about life not only was destroyed, but the children are not born. So uh, official numbers is 4.5 million Ukrainians uh, died during this three years of only one Holodomor. Can we address, I know this is going to be sensitive, um, it's something that greatly frustrates me. Um, by the way, I want to say this. I'm going to put in the show notes. There's a powerful movie. And, Yana, I don't know if you had a chance to see it. It's called Mr. Jones. And it's a, it's, it's a beautiful film. Came out several years ago uh, on the Holodomor. Powerful narrative drama. I'm going to put the link, guys, in the show notes so you can go to Amazon.com and, and, and rent that film. But there's this denazification which is repugnant every time i hear even the the western media will will repeat this that there are nazis in ukraine and that that putin is denazifying ukraine well if he's in a war to denazify ukraine and there are no nazis in ukraine i mean i'm sure there are nazis in ukraine there are nazis i'm sure in my neighborhood but um this is something that will never end because He's waging a war against a myth. Can you explain to people sort of this big lie that a country who has a Jewish president, uh, Putin invaded to denazify? Uh, That's a good question because this is uh, fully Russian propaganda. But first, let's speak about what is uh, Nazism? What is this on fascist, Nazist? This is uh, the nation which uh, who wants to... Um, destroy to uh, um, kill other nations. Ukrainians are not like this. They didn't want to kill anybody. They are patriots of Ukraine, of our territory, of our people, of our freedom. But who is fascist and Nazis today is Russia. They came to Ukraine 10 years ago. They want to conquer and to destroy Ukrainians. As you saw in this interview, why Putin started this history lesson? Because he wants to show that the Ukrainians never existed as a nation. And that's why they are Nazis, uh, etc. But uh, Ukrainians, it means only that he, with Russians, they want to destroy Ukrainian nation. That's why they say they are uh, Nazis, let's say. But this is label. It's uh, 
Soviet label. Every time that uh, uh, in Soviet times they wanted to say that someone is enemy and need to be uh, killed, they always say, oh, they're Nazis, they're fascists. And all repressions against people inside Soviet Union, most of the time was under the uh, name of his Nazis. He uh, worked with fascists. Let's kill him. Or his grandfather is, uh, was working with fascists. Let's kill him. And uh, hundreds so of you have, thousands of people. You have a KGB yeah. colonel speaking like a KGB colonel. Exactly. And yet you see Americans across the ideological spectrum. I've seen far left liberals in the United States and I've seen conservatives tell me um, there are Nazis in Ukraine. I'm like, I've been to Ukraine. I haven't seen, I haven't met any Nazis. I, in fact, had a, there was a young man, an American army captain, who um, my organization helped him with some body armor and some transportation. He wanted to go to Ukraine and support the Ukrainians. And I asked him to do one thing. He went to fight uh, alongside the Azov. I said, can you go find all these Nazis for me and report back? And he reported back and said, Jason, I see no sign of uh, extreme rightist supremacy or, or, or white supremacy. He said, he said, maybe there was a decade or so ago, but there was no evidence of it now. So is there any truth that there may have been some far-right militias that Ukraine used that was the grain of truth, or is this just all propaganda? Um, we need to understand uh, that uh, uh, Russia always uh, confused world because Ukrainians are patriots, and last 300 years, we try to be independent from Russian empire. And 300 years already, we're fighting for our independence. And of course, Russia will make a propaganda that we are Nazists or fascists. That's completely not true, because the main meaning of uh, our uh, fight and our protection of our nation is our patriotism. We are patriots, Jones. I think um, uh, Americans uh, also, but patriots. But yeah, well, and the radical would... left in America will call Americans who are patriots fascists and Nazis too. So this is nothing new. We should be used to this. We hear this. We hear yeah. this all the time. If an American's a patriot in the United Kingdom, if you know, if you fly the flag of Saint George, the the, the leftist media calls them Nazis. I don't know how you call people who fly the flags of the countries that liberated Europe from the Nazis, Nazis, but they do. They do that here even in the way, even in uh, the Anglosphere. Okay, but the main reason, uh, Nazism and fascism, is what? Is there uh, when one nation wants to destroy another nation? Ukrainians never wanted to do this. Ukrainians want to live in uh, our territory, in our freedom country. We are very conservative, conservative country with uh, Christians, uh, mostly Orthodox people, and uh, we are not Nazis. We believe in God. We believe in freedom, and we in, believe in uh, people's life. This is most important for us. Now, I know I want to bring something else up. It's going to be very hard for those on the right, and I don't know if you you'll probably find this hard to believe. I know we've talked about this briefly before, but there is an element on the American right that sees Putin as a crusader to save the Christian West. So how somebody coming from the East is going to save the West, I don't know. How somebody who is not a Christian is going to save Christendom, 
I don't know. But, you know, I, I think it's, they feel so oppressed um, by the deep state, by the administrative state in the United States that they want to see a savior. They want to have a savior. And they really believe that in some way, if Putin wins in Ukraine, that this will break the back of their enemies domestically. This is, might sound strange to you, um, but it's true. But the same groups that see Putin as some sort of crusading hero to save the West from neoliberalism see China as the greatest menace in the world. So it's going to be kind of, they had to be kind of confused, and I'm eager to look at their responses to this speech, which I haven't had time to do yet. Uh, Putin was very clear that his friend, his best friend and partner is Xi. And the, the CCP are their partners. He almost came across, it was a bit embarrassing, as a vassal state to China. Did you catch this? Yeah, of course. But this is what we are talking about, that Putin didn't say a lot uh, of things that should be said. Uh, for example, uh, about uh, uh, this guy that you say, yes, and he thinks that this is his friend. He doesn't understand that people know that uh, he's uh, not so much uh, up to religion. By the way, I wanted to tell you, when we, we talk about Christian and Christianity in Russia, what Putin didn't say that uh, the persecution of Protestants in Russia. Do you know that uh, since 2017, the activists of um, uh, Jeshua witnesses, I, I hope I pronounced it well, uh, have been prohibited in Russian Federation. And um, when the war started in uh, 2014 in Donbass region, uh, many Protestant uh, preachers and believers have been kidnapped, tortured, robbed, killed in occupied uh, territory of Ukraine. And this is very, um, he's a liar, you know, he's uh, not saying too much of the truth which, which exactly happening today in Ukraine and in Russia. But the way Takir said, I want to tell the truth to American people. They need to know what exactly exactly happens in Russia and Ukraine today. But to be honest, I was looking this uh, to this interview, and uh, he had uh, uh, ingratiating questions. You know, like a young student didn't look like he can find out any truth from Putin's mouth. Yeah, I think that it's it's like this for all of us sometimes. Tucker Carlson, very wealthy man. I think he's worth $100 million. So he's the only journalist that's, you know, independent journalist that he's, you know, he's not dependent on anyone. He's independently wealthy. His family's very wealthy. But he's ambitious. Mm -hmm. He wants to be successful. I love most of what Tucker does. Uh, I feel like on Ukraine, he's been, he sort of has, there's Trump derangement syndrome. I think he has establishment derangement syndrome. Whatever the establishment's for, we have to be against. Um, and to me, this was the biggest opportunity of Tucker's career. But I think it kind of fell flat. I, I, I bet you Tucker Carlson is disappointed. I mean, yeah, I, I was disappointed uh, all the way around um, on the interview. And everyone I've talked to felt that it was just kind of, it was like, you know, paying $100, I don't know if this, well, you're from Ukraine, you have the best boxers in the world. It's like paying $100 on pay-per-view to watch Lomachenko fight, and uh, it's just a 12-round, boring, nothing burger of a fight. You know, like, I just paid $100 for that. It, I just felt like, 
I that was kind of lame. Do you feel like it was just kind of a dud and the Tucker was probably really disappointed in how it unfolded? You know what I'm thinking about? Uh, good that you mentioned that uh, Tucker is uh, from a rich family and rich himself. I also knew this. And to be honest, I don't think he was uh, even paid money for this interview because in Ukraine and in Russia, many people were talking that he was paid probably for this interview. But I don't know how much money he needs uh, to be like <laughs> to make this interview. I think I think he's that, a man of his uh, word. He's a man of his word. And he looked yeah, us in the eyes yeah. and he said, I didn't get paid. And I that means. Yeah, he didn't I, get I believe this. Yes. He's, he's a rich person. I think uh, there is one problem here. Uh, he is uh, a victim of Russian propaganda. I'm sure that as many conservative Americans also don't know really much about Ukraine, Ukrainian history, and what is exactly going on here and why. Uh, the same Tucker, he didn't know. He maybe even wanted to find out himself, and he thought there is something new that Putin didn't say. But uh, he was quite confused and disappointed himself. Uh, and uh, it's a pity, you know, because in, in Ukraine and uh, in some Russia, uh, I heard this um, point of view that maybe with this interview, Putin wanted to say something to the world, you know, something new, like to say he wants uh, um, to hint on something, how to solve all this situation. But uh, I told him from the beginning that after I heard all these two hours and five minutes of interview, I'm sure this all is intended for a domestic, for local Russian audience. Americans got nothing new from that. Well, what I'm disappointed about is Tucker Carlson, my biggest two disappointments were when he, he gave his history lesson. He, he didn't challenge him on the, the forced abortions in the in the twenties, um, the campaign of genocide of Ukraine, the Holodomor, um, yeah, those were just saw those should have been. Thank you for that history lesson, Mister President. But I need to ask you a follow up. This isn't the whole story. You know, King George could have given a long history of how the British colonies were connected to um, the United Kingdom and England. Um, yeah, but the founding fathers wrote a list of grievances. I once on my podcast read the list of grievances that the American colonists had towards the crown and they pale, they're actually laughable in comparison to the list of grievances that the people of Ukraine have. So even if there was some truth to what Putin said, the list of grievances um, is a mile long. And um, as our founding father said, you know, when in the course of history, there's a time, it, it, it's as challenging as it is, I'm not going to perfectly, I should, I, I knew it in eighth grade, but when in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one group of people to separate themselves from the bonds which have united them with another or something like that. Um, so even if what Putin said were true, the list of grievances that the people of Ukraine have had for centuries um, are more than enough. So I would have asked him about the constant war of, of ethnic cleansing and oppression on the people of Ukraine and then the most laughable part was, and you wonder, does Putin really believe this? When he said that religious minorities have always been protected in the, in the empires of Russia. Um, pogroms, like we don't know about the pogroms. We don't know about the, the wars against the Chechens. We don't know about the millions of Christians that were murdered by the Soviet Union and the gulags. 
And you look us in the face and say that there's this long history of religious pluralism and acceptance in Russia. Did that, did did you, did you, when you saw that, did you chuckle or how did you feel? Uh, let me uh, tell you now a few things yeah, while we were talking about, I, I decided to share this. So, uh, exactly when, uh, Putin started his, uh, history lesson and when he went approximately to 10th century, Tucker made an attempt to say, I'm not sure that uh, it is relevant to what happens now, but Putin just, no, 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 let me continue. And he started his, uh, um, Unexisting history lesson, but few things that really they didn't they didn't talk about at all. So I told you, uh, look, first one uh, from the beginning. He said that um, Russia state began in Novgorod in 862, but this is complete bullshit because uh, <laughs> Moscow as a city started at 1147. At, at 200, 285 years later from Novgorod. Next one. Moscow conquered Novgorod only in 1456, 15th century. And Moscow did uh, with Novgorod exactly what they did with uh, Mariupol and many other conquered uh, territories. They made the deportation of uh, all the local people and they killed thousands of Novgorod people and brought there people from Moscovia. So Russia uh, didn't exist uh, many, many years before uh, we find first uh, world, world of uh, name Russia in the 17th century. 17th century. But the only thing to understand, understand that Russia uh, started from the name Moscovia. And Moscow, I want to repeat, was uh, established in 1147. When he say that uh, Russia was baptized in 988, it's also bullshit. Because even Moscow didn't exist at that year. It was Kiev, exactly in Kiev. Uh, Baptist, Kiev of Baptist. And wouldn't even Russians laugh at that? So Russians would laugh at that and say, "This is backwards. We're the child, and the Ukrainians are the parent." Wouldn't even even in Russia, I have to imagine they know their history enough to chuckle at that. It would be, it would be like the United States claiming to have birthed England. Yeah, yeah. They Americans start, like would United go, wait, what? No, we didn't birth England. That's yeah. the, what? No. But but how, what about and, this, though? This is what I thought about that. And I apologize. I only We only have 15 more minutes, and I want to get a lot in, but and okay. I, I'd love to have you back on. But one of the things I thought when he was making this long case, I thought in the United States, it's actually a detriment. We're, you know, we think that that the world was born yesterday. And there was a meme going around saying... um, some politician trying to make, uh, they asked him about the Second Amendment, and some politician said, well, let me tell you, um, Tucker, it all goes back to Hengist and Horsa. Hengist and Horsa, by the way, are my screensaver. so I thought that was kind of funny. They were the maybe mythical 
um, jute and Anglo-Saxon kings that invaded Britain and this sort of idea of Anglo-Saxon rugged individual liberty comes from Hengis and Horsa. So I thought, well, that would be a good place to start. Is it, would you say that in the United States and in the Anglosphere, we no longer see the world the way the rest of the world does? And so even Ukrainians, when they make their arguments for independence, they're going to go back in history too, correct? So I think that was maybe a cultural, we were just, Americans were like, what? But I do think it's prudent to tell the history. And so what you're saying is the problem isn't that he started with a history lesson. It wasn't a history lesson. It was mythology. Yeah. It was Russian statist propaganda and mythology because the history lesson would lead to Ukraine's right to self-determination and independence. Absolutely, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for this. Uh, may I say just two minutes? Yeah, very, yeah, yeah. I'm going to give you. We got, I'm going to give you the next ten minutes to share with us what you think we need to know, and I'm not even going to interrupt you. Uh, yeah, uh, what I think important that um, I told you that last thirty years, Russia, Russian Empire started and uh, um, made thirteen wars, including this Ukrainian war now. And um, most of this uh, wars was with uh, Georgia, Abkhazia, Pridnestrovia, Chechen war, Dagestan, etc. All the neighbors, Kafkaz. And uh, many, many people from these uh, countries, territories that were conquered uh, due to these wars by Russia, uh, came to Ukraine as immigrants. And uh, I have many friends from Dagestan, from Kafkaz, and uh, now they live already 20 years or more in Ukraine. And uh, now in Ukrainian army, we have uh, a few battalions with people from Kafkaz, from Dagestan, Muslim people who fight against Russia from the conquered territories uh, of Russian Empire which Russian conquered. And they say they fight for freedom against Russia, for Ukraine, because we know how is this to stay and to be conquered by Russian Empire. Because they come and they kill all local uh, people who is not cooperating with Russia. And this is um, really, if to understand at least the history of the uh, last few decades, you will see what is Russian Empire and what is Putin. Me, myself, I'm 42 years old, by the way, and I was born in Hungary because my father is a military man from Soviet times, of course. And we was eight years living in Kazakhstan. I was young, you know, like six, seven years old. And I remember I went to school, my first grade, and all people was like, Russian speaking in my class. And we had only two or three uh, Kazakh people, like locals. They didn't speak Russian. These guys were six, seven years old. And I must tell you, it was humiliating to see how other children was uh, laughing at them all the time. And even teachers would uh, behave with them in humiliative manner. Like they ah, you don't know Russian? Ha, ha, ha. And uh, I, as a kid, seven years old, I was already thinking, what is this? 
we are in Kazakhstan, it's Kazakh people, it's their land. Why we are behaving with them like this? Living just few kilometers from Almata, from the capital of Kazakhstan. Uh, and um, all the years that um, I lived in Soviet Union, I remember that uh, everybody speaks Russian and the local languages was under pressure. In Ukraine, we had only uh, one uh, lesson per week of Ukrainian language. And if you want to go to the university, you have to pass all exams in Russian. So this is uh, what Soviet Union did. And then other countries after Soviet Union was dead, started to be independent. Of course, Russian Empire would dream to bring everybody back. This is what Putin is doing last uh, 20 years of his presidency, and especially last 10 years in Ukraine. And I hope uh, all Americans would understand that this is propaganda of Russia. And uh, if uh, your uh, listeners, your audience would like to know real history and is interested in history, I advise you to listen to your American historian. This is Timothy Snyder from Yale University. He is specialist of, yes. uh, on nationalism, totalitarianism, Holocaust, and he is talking history of Ukraine, Russia, and Belarus, other countries that even us just lately start to understand better because we have literature open for us only last you to, to, to 20 years. You know, his book, Bloodlands, I actually had 60 pages in my book that came out in 2014 on Ukraine removed wow. because my publisher thought my obsession with Russia and Ukraine, my book was on the future genocides, democides, and wars that I saw coming in the 21st century. And they, they cut out 60 pages on Ukraine. That was really inspired. I was greatly inspired by the writings of uh, Professor Snyder, his book, um, Bloodlands which came out in 2010, uh, it was a powerful book. And yeah, you're right. S start with Bloodlands and read, read uh, Timothy Schneider. Uh, I wish I could interview you for hours. I've been trying to get on as many shows as I can. So I'm about to jump on the Sebastian Gorka show for an hour, which has a huge audience. Great. So I wanted to make sure I did that. I stayed up all night, wrote, wrote an op-ed responding to Putin's speech. So my show is, is always available to you. And um, if there's any topics you think you need to be addressed, my audience is around the world. About half our audiences are is outside of the United States. They're made up of a lot of very influential people, not just at their local and community levels, but we have a lot of people that are influential in their, their, their governments. So um, this is a good show for you to come on. And I really appreciate you for joining us. Is there any websites or other than I'm going to put the, the link for Timothy Schneider in the movie Bloodland. I mean, I'm sorry, in the movie uh, Mr. Jones in the show notes. Is there anywhere else you'd like to uh, direct our listeners? Um, in, in English, I need to think what to do, but um, I will write you. Jason, thank you so much for everything what you're doing for Ukraine and for looking for truth. I really appreciate it. I think every Ukrainian person who knows you, um, would love to say the same. Well, we appreciate you, and it's uh, a privilege to stand with you. All right, Yana, God bless you. I know it's late there, so I'm going to let you go and, and land the plane. 
Thank you. I go to my daughters. <laughs> Thank okay. you, Jason. Good good luck. Have a good day. Bye bye. All right, guys. You got some home. You've got some homework right there. Sorry about that. Um, I'm going to put the link to Bloodlands. Get the Audible book. Buy the book. Go watch Mr. Jones. This is one of the best movies. One of my favorite films. And um, as someone who's Welsh and has the last name Jones, although my name doesn't come through my Welsh blood, my it's it's a it's a long story. Uh, my great grandpa had to change his name when he moved here from Liechtenstein to Jones. But um, yeah, I was very proud that a Jones shared with the world the truth about the Holodomor. So watch Mr. Jones and um, listen to or read uh, Bloodlands, Europe Between Hitler and Stalin by Timothy Schneider. And this episode is being brought to you by the Vulnerable People Project, standing in solidarity with the most vulnerable people in the world. From uh, the Christian communities in Nigeria suffering um, uh, kidnappings and terrorism, we are there. To the Philippines, to um, Chinese-occupied East Turkestan, standing with the Uyghur. I was just honored uh, several weeks ago to win the East Turkestan Medal of Friendship. I'm the first recipient um, from the Uyghur community. I'm the first recipient of their Medal of Friendship. We stand with the most vulnerable people in the world when the world is left, from the child at the womb at home to uh, children in Darfur to families in occupied East Turkestan to our, our Christian brothers and sisters and in occupied Ukraine where all of the Catholic churches and evangelical churches have been closed. We're there, and it's usually lonely. That's sort of our mission statement. We go where no one else will go. If other people are there, there's plenty of places that aren't being served, and we go. And you can go, too, by becoming a donor. Go to thegreatcampaign.org, thegreatcampaign.org, and become a monthly donor. All right? I'm about to jump on the Sebastian Gorka Show. All right? Until next time, the Jason Jones Show. This has been the Jason Jones Show, sponsored by the Vulnerable People Project. Visit thegreatcampaign.org. That's thegreatcampaign.org. Ooh.